The epistle reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Here ends the first lesson. The gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 13 and it is the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. 
Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Thanks be to God. Well, I think we have a bit of a problem with this morning's gospel, really, because I suspect that most of us have heard it so many times before. And if I said to you, what it, what's it about, you'd probably say, oh, yes, we know what this is about. This is about not being distracted, not being obsessed by anything worldly, um, not allowing ourselves to fall away. It's all so familiar, isn't it? Um, and so it's very difficult to actually consider that perhaps when people heard it for the first time, it kind of jolted them out of their complacency. It might even have been a bit of a shock. Now, it seems to me that there are three things about parables that we often miss because we've heard them so many times. That they have an urgent message, that they actually need a decision, and that the urgency and the decision ought to lead to action. And when we heard this morning's first reading, I couldn't help sort of comparing, in a sense, the flesh and the spirit. I mean, I don't know about you, but my flesh is quite, um, quite um, used to saying, oh, well, it's not urgent, you know, uh, you can put that off. Or don't make a decision about this now, it's really not necessary, that's too difficult. Or, well, I'm a bit tired, I haven't got the energy, I can't really take any action now. But urgency, decision, and action are so critical when we actually hear a parable. And after all, urgency is important, isn't it? Um, I was walking down past Patisserie Valerie on my way here, and I suddenly wondered what would happen if I stopped there, because they're having their breakfast outside, and said, would you like to just come down the road? I've got this incredibly important story to tell you. It's all about a sower. Well, it isn't actually all about a sower, but, you know, would they come? I don't think so. They want to get on with their croissants, don't they? And when I looked at this gospel, and it said that great crowds were listening to Jesus, that reminded me of something I read in the Gazette this week about Tom Jones at the cricket ground. You know, there were great crowds. Well, where are the great crowds who are listening to Jesus. This is an urgent matter, really, because these stories are valuable and they need to be told and retold, but they actually have to make some sort of difference. 
Jesus, after all, is, is speaking this parable from the boat. He's on the sea. He's on the symbol of sort of chaos and separation and talking to people who are on the land. So I think in my own mind that he's trying to say to them, you know, I can speak to you from here and I can tell you something which is to do with security and it is to do with stability, but it's also to do with urgency, decision and action. Now, the other thing about the parables, I think, is this, that we really don't need to agonize over saying this means this and this means that and this means the other. Because I think if we were listening to this as Jesus told it, we wouldn't do that because we would see in our mind the everyday life that he's referring to. Because he would be talking to people who went out sowing. So they wouldn't need to think to themselves, this means this or this means that. They all know what he's talking about because it reflects their everyday life. And it reflects something urgent about their everyday life. Because if your seed doesn't grow, you don't eat. It's urgent. And you have to make a decision to look after your crops. And you have to take action to make sure that they, they really grow. So, this parable is not the parable of the sower. I think it's the parable of the soil. The soil is what matters. We get confused with the second half, the explanation, which, which might have been put in by the early church. Let's just concentrate on the first bit. It's the soil that is so crucial. Is the soil going to be the sort of soil that enables things to grow? Now, the kingdom, as Christians, we believe, is already here. So actually, there are huge tracts of soil already here. But do we actually recognize this? Do you think that one of the, the dangers of this parable is that we tend to think it's all about in some way renouncing the world, not actually getting stuck into it? Because really, if we do believe that Jesus brought in the recognition that justice, compassion, and mercy are what matter and what actually characterize the time when God's rule is here. If we believe that, then we have to look for it everywhere, not just in church, not just amongst nice people like us, not just amongst respectable people, but everywhere. So we've got to not think of this parable in terms of let's shut ourselves up and devote ourselves to being the sort of soil that only actually exists in particular places, because I don't think that's actually what it's about. There are many matters, aren't there, of justice, compassion and mercy in the world being exhibited by people who wouldn't claim to have any faith at all or who would claim to have a faith which we don't share. But surely the kingdom is actually there and the soil is actually there and it's up to us to recognize this and join with it. And we don't do that by withdrawing. Last weekend I was up at York for the Church of England General Synod. We've got this strategy, you know. Uh, I dare say strategies are quite familiar to you. And this one is called Renewal and Reform. And it's a genuine attempt to actually say, how are we going to communicate the gospel, the good news, now? 
So you, I think, will be amused to learn that we spent a bit of time repealing statutes, well, asking, because we can't do things without Parliament, you see, because of the Reformation, asking Parliament to repeal things that had passed in the reign of Henry VIII. Then we spent a bit of time asking Parliament to repeal things that had happened in the reign of Queen Anne. So I said to the person next to me, well, we're getting a bit further on then. So (laughs) one of the things that we are that we are trying to do is to simplify all this mass of of legislation that we've actually inherited. But another part of renewal and reform, of course, is to do with outreach, a mission. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go along to this workshop. So I went along to this workshop. And the workshop was all about ministry to estates. Michael over there will know about this. Ministry to estates. Oh, I thought, well, I live on one. I'll go along to this. But do you know, I got really annoyed and frustrated because everybody was talking as though estates were somewhere where fairly nice people live and there are places where people stay and there are places where there are communities. So in the end, I was moved to put my hand up and say, well, on the estate I live on, people don't live in it, they move through it. There are very few of us left who actually live on it. It isn't the case that they are settled communities. It isn't the case, in my case, and my bit of the estate, that there's any sense of community at all. So what are we going to do about this? So this soil is very difficult to actually grow things on because we have transitoriness. And isn't that true in in, uh, our society? We have people moving about all over the place, We have what seems to be an unregulated media, particularly social media, and things are moving so fast that there doesn't seem to be the stability to put the soil down that will cause anything to grow. So we have to try and recognize what's there already and, and somehow spread the gospel there. Now you're going to say to me, how are we going to do that? Well, I mean, I don't know. So it's a bit awful, really, getting annoyed with people who at least are trying, aren't they, to do it. But one thing that did occur to me about being the good soil, if you'll forgive another anecdote, is our curate, Joe. Now, Joe um, is very keen that she spends most of her time not in the church building or in the parish centre. She is out in the community. And she is in the school, or not a church school. Uh, She does assembly, she does after-school club, she goes to the community centre, she joins in the summer activities, she bounces up and down on a trampoline, and all kinds of things. And it has actually got to the point now where our baptisms are really increasing. And because our baptisms are increasing, our weddings are increasing, because that's the way around it seems to happen now. Uh, (laughs) And Joe would say, I think, that part of this is to do with her being on her mobile. People don't phone her a lot now, she says. They text me. They text me about baptisms. They text me about weddings. And they text me to say, will you pray for me? Or can I pray for somebody? Can you help me with this? And it seems to me that that is one way of using something that might appear to be mobile, to actually bring stability and to be the good soil. And it does seem to be actually growing things, growing people. 
who are coming to church. Now, well, then we have to think about the soil that we have in church, don't we? Because there's no point in getting people to come if they can't understand the language and the concepts don't mean anything to them. Um, and it doesn't actually send them out inspired. This is where our urgency, our decision and our action come from. But we have to think about this. How are we going to be good soil? How are we going to be the sort of soil where things grow? And it may not be spectacular, but there must be something, there must be something that each of us can do this week. Just something that helps justice, mercy, compassion to grow in somebody's life or somebody's circumstances. And the way that this happens might be quite hidden and it might be quite personal and it might be quite secret. But surely the point of this parable is that above all, we must avoid waste. Because waste is what Jesus' hearers would see as the thing which would mean that they simply wouldn't eat. Their families wouldn't eat. And waste is the thing that Jesus is telling us we cannot afford to have. We cannot afford to waste our opportunities. There's a poem by William Empson, uh, who was writing in, in the, well, mostly up to the 1950s, a wonderful poem where he says um, something like, because I'm sorry I haven't brought it with me, um, through the system, the poison, no, the, I should have brought it with me, shouldn't I? <laughs> now I've forgotten it, I thought I knew it. The, but the point of it is that the, the system, yes, through the system, the poison, uh, the system, no, the poison <laughs> fills the system. But the, but the last line is the one I wanted to show with you. Sorry about that. And the last line is, the waste remains. The waste remains and kills. Slowly the poison, the whole system fills. The waste remains. The waste remains and kills. And I think this parable about the soil, not about the sower, is actually about the urgency of not wasting any opportunities for the kingdom. And that, I think, is the message that we need to take away from it. And it's very easy to be in despair or pessimistic about the larger things going on in the world around us and to feel that we can't do much about those. But there are things that can be done, and there are things that you do here, because every time I come here and go to coffee, I see the fair trade store, for example. Now, that is a prime example, isn't it, of not wasting the opportunity to be... Um, living with other people in a spirit of mutual flourishing. So this week, it's a question of thinking. How am I, am I going to be good soil? Where am I going to be that will enable me to actually get something to grow? Now, I'd just like you to have a look at hymn... Which one is it? It's hymn 653 that we've just sung. Because, you know, it's nice to sing these hymns and it's very good to have a tune that you really enjoy. But do we actually think about the words? If you look at the last verse of hymn 653, which we've just sung, grant that we all made one in faith in your community may find the wholeness that enriching us shall reach the whole of humankind. Now, 
I think that's what this parable is actually about. And if you look at the hymn we're about to sing, which is 157, In the last verse, God is speaking by the Spirit, speaking to our hearts again. Now, does that parable really speak to our hearts, or is it just something that passes us by? In the age-long word expanding, God's own message now as then. In what way is the message of this parable relevant to us today? Through the rise and fall of nations, and we live in turbulent times, One sure faith is standing fast. God still speaks the word unchanging. God the first and God the last. So there is something in these stories of Jesus that is eternal. There is something about the message of urgency, decision, action, and not wasting our opportunities to be the good soil that still speaks to us today however differently it might have sounded to those people who heard it in the time of the Bible.